Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Donna Jo Napoli, a professor of linguistics and social justice at Swarthmore College and the author of 80 books. Donna Jo is joining us to speak specifically about the latest book, Treasury of Magical Tales from Around the World, the newest addition to the National Geographic Treasury Collection. If you are already thinking about a special gift for any number of people in your life, really consider this special book. Now, let's meet Donna Jo to learn more about it. Donna Jo Napoli, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, it was not at all difficult or challenging. So to say that I I was not aware of you, sadly, but now I am. And having heard or read about Treasury of Magical Tales from Around the World, I mean, this is such a beautiful book of such great and interesting stories. And then to find out, uh, you know, that this is probably what, number 80 of all the books that you've written? Somewhere in the 80s. <laughs> Which is um, amazing and wonderful because, uh, well, let's go a little back into your history and who you are. And that as a professor of linguistics and social justice, uh, well, the linguistics, of course, the, the writing, the words, the stories really fits into that. But taking from the stories that are in this treasury, the social justice weaves in. So is that somewhat accurate? Absolutely. And I do want to correct something that um, you said earlier. You said it's uh, number 80 or whatever that I've written. Actually, uh, it's number 80 or whatever that I've published. I am not a charmed person. Like most writers, I write all the time and I get lots of letters of rejection. So I'm sure I've written hundreds of stories. Um, But 80-something have been published Okay. Um, And yes, does this tie in? Does all of it tie in? I am fascinated by other languages, largely because of I am fascinated by other cultures. And I hope to bring that fascination to my readers. I'm also very concerned about socioeconomic injustice in particular, and a lot of traditional stories are about people who are struggling to feed themselves and their families and to house themselves. Uh, um, so it's really lovely to see traditional stories because most people are not the wealthy. Um, most people are not the middle class. We call it middle class, but How do you call it middle when it's not really the middle? Most people are in trouble um, and have to move from day to day. Uh, uh, So I think of these stories as being exactly who I want to be talking about. And what you say really is reflected in the stories in this treasury because we there is that ex, that experience they are tales from around the world and it's interesting how how that particular theme of of the lack and wanting more and how it well the magic comes into it how some of it comes and what it does so i think that these really do convey what your passion and and what your heart is 
And one thing I love about these stories is that if people want uh, wealth just for the sake of wealth, um, it doesn't really bring them any satisfaction, and sometimes they just walk away from it. There's a story in which a, um, a woman has a child that's a frog, but it's a magic frog, and he can turn into whatever he wants, and he turns into a prince and woos a princess and uh, wins half a kingdom, and then he decides it's not really what he wants. He likes the rice paddy. So he goes back to the rice paddy and to his life as a frog. Um, wealth just for wealth's sake is not very interesting in these stories. The people are not interested in them. What, why they want money is so that they can have a decent life, not a, a luxurious life. And what you say with that is really, I think, true for us in our society, probably true for all societies uh, around the planet. I would suspect so. <laughs> yeah. Um, y- you know, why do we have to have things we don't need? Uh, but there are plenty of things we do need. Um, there is one story in here where a man catches a fish and the fish gives him a wish and he doesn't even think he wants a wish. He's pretty happy. And then his wife is really annoyed with him for not having wished for something. So he goes back and wishes for bread. And she's happy with that until she decides she wants something more. Um, and uh, he keeps going back to the fish, and the fish keeps giving him more. And finally, she is a queen. Um, and she just wants to be queen of everything, including queen of the sea. And when the man goes back to ask the fish to make her queen of the sea, then it's just too much. And she's brought back to her starting point um, in the hovel that they lived in. Um, uh, food is scarce, but he can still catch his fish and they can still live. And, um, and you know, uh, um, greediness doesn't uh, uh, doesn't always pay off, and it certainly didn't work for this couple in terms of as the wife got more and more, her husband was far less interesting to her. And that, again, I think if reading this in a, in a group setting, I'm thinking really more of families having this treasury and, and reading it aloud and sharing it and then discussing such things would probably really elicit a lot of experiences or really bring to mind, or maybe they'd go searching for stories that reflected that in, in our life in this country. I'm so glad that you put it in that kind of a setting, because that is my hope. Um, oral traditions, one lovely thing about oral traditions uh, is that people are sitting around, somebody's telling a story, and then everybody discusses it. It's a family discussion. It's a community discussion. And you talk about, you know, if you were that person, what would you have done? Did he do the right thing? Is that the right thing for everyone? Uh, on and on. These days, often when we're with a book, it's just us and our book which it can be a beautiful thing too, but being able to discuss things with someone else is wonderful. And it, it, it's a tradition that we've lost, but we can find it again. It's not dead. Uh, 
I think that, you know, when you come home and somebody says to you, how was your day, and you explain what you did at school that day, you are telling a story, but it's very much grounded in today, in your moment, in what you know. Um, Reading a story that is in another place, another time, a situation you've never been in, allows you to talk about the what if. And and we don't talk a lot about the what ifs with our families and our communities as much as we might want to or need to. Both of those things, uh, especially the need to, that there there is that need that we do discuss these things. And that's where reading these stories can also be that platform and jumping off point to have those kinds of conversations. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I find that the the stories, the book is lovely to read, but I thought, you know, there's it really does, I think, have more value in what we were just talking about, being able to read it aloud or, you know, take a story a day, a week, that sort of thing, probably a week. Children might find it to be maybe too much to do too many stories in a week and have those conversations, would you think? Yeah, I I designed it pretty much so that you can read a single story and feel some satisfaction. Each story comes to a close. There are no cliffhangers. Um, uh, So you can read and then go to sleep. But I tried to find characters and situations that would keep, that you keep thinking about. You'd want to talk about them. Certainly you could read more than one in a night. It depends on how much time you're devoting to it. Uh, but they they are set up. You could you could read this book over a month because there's 29 stories in it. You could read it in one night. <laughs> it depends on you. The illustrations you mentioned how beautiful the book is. The illustrations are really marvelous, and I want to mention the name of the illustrator, Christina Ballett, because she's phenomenal. National Geographic paired Christina and I on a book on Greek mythology a decade ago now, and it was such a wonderful experience for both of us that they have paired us over and over again on Norse mythology, Egyptian mythology, Arabian Nights, um, stories from the ancient Bible, and now these magical tales. I'm so lucky to be working with her. Well, you obviously are a really great team and now attested to by the fact that you've done so many of these kinds of treasuries. And it's wonderful. It probably really is more, what, added inspiration to collaborate and and uh, be able to see it come to life on the page like that. Uh, collaboration is beautiful. One thing about uh, writing and uh, illustrating is that typically the writer and the illustrator don't talk to each other until very late in the process. National Geographic um, abides by that as well. But Christina and I have such a strong relationship at this point that I'm often drawn in at an early stage. And usually I just say, oh, wow, Um, because Christina is my idea of an ideal illustrator. 
I'm very particular about making sure details are right. If you've got a shoe showing, I want it to be made of the right material for that time and place. I want it to be the right shape. And Christina always does her homework. She also always pays attention to my story. If I've got someone who's hungry, she doesn't present that person with big, rosy apple cheeks. She's aware of who this person is, and uh, she's just lovely. I feel like she creates the right world for my characters to thrive in. Well, to me, it sounds like you're just a great compliment for each other. Yeah, we're lucky. And the other thing, so we have this beautiful treasury of story and and gorgeous artwork, and then to add to it, you have these wonderful historic pieces that really, I find, I value as added insight into, into the country, into the times, just good historical knowledge. So you're talking about the sidebars now. Yes, exactly. Yes, I love writing the sidebars. When I am writing a story, I'm just presenting it. I'm not a teacher. All I can hope for is that somebody enjoys it. And whatever they take away from it, they take away from it. But, you know, I am a teacher. I'm a, I'm, I, I teach linguistics. And I love helping people grow their knowledge. So I will look at a story and ask, what in there? would I want to know more about if I was a child or what do I want to know more about right now? And, and I go looking, often I write two or three sidebars for a story and I have a fantastic editor, um, Marfe Delano, who just is wonderful. And she will choose what, what is the best sidebar for this story. (laughs) But it, it's just terrific fun being able to learn about those things. And, and then I get a chance to try to teach a little bit. Exactly. So that this is, I'm going to call it a whole package. This book is just so wonderful. And I see it as this special gift to ourselves, for ourselves. But just to keep this in mind, whenever we think of something unique instead of something that's a gadget or or a a technology piece, especially with our, our younger kids, with just the younger generation, something like this is just something that will live with them and teach them forever. Well, that's how I feel about books. I, I just love my books. Um, I love videos. I think that film is a marvelous, marvelous medium. But the thing about a book, and particularly if you read it aloud, is that you are allowed to create in your head. Reading and listening are creative acts, really highly creative acts. And it's just beautiful because then it belongs to you in a very personal kind of way. Well, I am a great fan of storytelling. I think it's just such a wonderful uh, piece of uh, work that we can do to uh, do it professionally if we have an opportunity to do so. But we can each be that storyteller in our homes. And I, I think back to when I was in school, which is a long time ago, 
being read to was just so comforting. It was just such a great experience. I don't know that it happens as much. Do you think that it does, Donna Jo? <laughs> um, I I don't know, but I think that we're we're very busy people, and uh, people sometimes may feel they just don't have the time, or they may think it's a luxury. One thing about these magical tales um, is that lots of times they're silly. The characters do crazy things, illogical things, and uh, that's funny. And it's, it is, you use the word comforting, it is very comforting because you as a child, lots of times you look at the behavior around you, what you're parents are doing, what your older siblings are doing, and it doesn't make any sense to you. The world is kind of chaotic. As you get older, it may start to make more sense, but even then, it's lovely to look at stories in which things are chaotic and you can recognize it. That's fun, but it's also freeing because it means that you can tell a story that is a little bit chaotic in which things don't always make sense, and it's still fun. We need to be able to create stories. We need to be able to um, own the flights of fantasy that we have and respect them. I, I, I think when families are together, if you can possibly, after you tell your story, turn the light off and then go around the room having everybody tell just a short story even if your short story, I had a, I had a, we, we did this with our children when they were little, and I had a son who would start telling his stories. He was two when he started telling his stories, and for a long time his story was Once Upon a Time, Pink Thing, because he just loved anything pink, and it was a fine story, and we all just accepted it. As he got older, he told more and more uh, <laughs> stories, but it's, it's, freeing to feel like creating is part of your right and your abilities. Yes, that it's there and giving the opportunity for that little kernel to start to to be nourished and grow and, and be shared with the world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is delightful. Thank you for sharing that part of of your life and how that has worked in your family. Uh, I would call that magical. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think uh, I think family life is magical. I think living with children is such a privilege, and we we need to as adults um, revel in it. <laughs> and they're they're other way of looking at things is so delightful to be exposed to. It is. And and from their perspective, they sometimes hear or see things differently. That is a real good reality check for us. Yes. When um, I keep talking about two-year-olds, I'm going to tell another two-year-old story. With my first child, we were in... Um, in Amsterdam, and we went to a zoo that had this underground section that you went into, and there was a big uh, uh, aquarium, uh, a, a big 
tank um, with turtles swimming in it. And my daughter, who my first child, who was two, was totally taken with those turtles. And we must have sat in front of that aquarium for a half an hour. And as we came out, she said to me in a very grown-up voice, I never knew that turtles could fly. And you see, it was all underwater. Yes. We couldn't see the top of the water. So what she saw were these turtles flying around. And they do move so much like birds move, mm -hmm. um, it, it just in slow motion. It was it was glorious to see what a different experience the two of us had had and how wonderful and valid each experience was to us. Yes. Oh, that is so delightful. That That is a book. It's When, tur <laughs> when Turtles Fly. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It's lovely. It, you know, it just it really grabs my heart to to hear that kind of perception. And that's what children, if we... Just pay attention. If we slow down enough and acknowledge, they, they can teach us so much. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, just paying attention. That, that's another thing that I love about telling a story from a different culture. Sometimes just hearing about a tree that you don't know what it is might make you look it up. Or a fish that seems different. Or being told that what they're wearing is so different from what you're accustomed to people wearing, it can make you start paying more attention to the trees that you do see and to the ways the different people in your community do dress. It can just um, sensitize us uh, to the differences within our own um, backyard and our community yeah. Yes, that is so great. So in terms of these stories, of which there are 29, you must have had so many more to choose from. Was that a challenging uh, circumstance, a prospect to have to Boy, decide? was it challenging, and I was not up to the challenge. I must have collected, well, I don't know how many, hundreds of stories. And then I winnowed it down because I wanted stories that were uh, kind in some way, where people forgave people when they were when they did wretched things to them. I didn't want um, to end on brutal notes, and I also wanted stories that were somewhat different from each other, and I wanted stories from different places. So I was able to winnow it down to about a hundred stories. Um, but then I have a fantastic editor at uh, National Geographic, Marfe uh, Delano, who um, was willing to read all of these things and help select which ones made a nice fat volume in terms of having different kinds of appeal. I don't think that I was would have been successful at doing it myself. I was too close to each story. Mm -hmm. I was seeing each tree separately. Marfe looked at the forest, and she could decide there's a clump over here. We don't need that many. Um, so that it, it's the book is very much a collaboration, a collaboration 
of illustrator, author, editor, and I believe in that. I think that collaborative work is better work. I think that we strive too hard to present what only we are responsible for. And I think that schools, unfortunately, have uh, uh, can lead us into feeling like uh, we have to see our work in competition with someone else's work. In fact, the best things happen when people come together and offer their different perspectives on it. I think things like the Nobel Prize are one of the worst lies ever because things rarely pop out of your forehead um, just out of the blue, like uh, Athena coming out of Zeus's forehead. It just doesn't happen. Uh, instead, this person, this scientist is working on this issue and comes up with something, but all the people in that lab were really responsible for it. And somebody else halfway around the world might have come up with the same thing a week later uh, because when the time is right and the information is right, these ideas pop up. And yet we give awards to individuals, not to labs, mm. um, which is too bad. It's, it's, it's wrong thinking. We, we need to work together. And especially today in our complex world with our complex problems, we need to work together to solve them. No question about that. And, and, I hope that message is being heard very clearly, very strongly, because collaboration can never be undersold at all. We we do need it, I think, for for today and for our future, and and we get the opportunity to to see that play out in these stories as well. And if we read them in the classroom or we read them as we talked about in a family setting, there's that opportunity to discuss that kind of thing. And um, I think there again is that seed planting and hopefully then nourishes to become a forest of collaboration. And I love the way you said that seed planting because people often ask me, um, what are you trying to teach? I'm not sure I'm trying to teach anything except in my sidebars. I'm just trying to offer. But in fact, <laughs> you've given me a new way to talk about it. I think I do try to plant seeds. The question is, what will grow? <laughs> um, you know, will people shine a light, enough light on that seed? Will they water it and, uh, and do something with it? And that's, of course, their right and privilege. And what you do is keep offering it. And I think that's the important thing is to keep offering those seeds, keep doing what we can, discussing it, and uh, hopefully the, the seed will eventually t take root, right, and, and do the kind of work it needs to do for the individual and for all of us. Yeah, you yeah. hope. <laughs> we hope. We need to. We need to hold on to that hope. I think hope is something very needed and precious in our life. And that's another thing about these stories. They're all quite hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, even though rough things happen, the characters are resilient and they are enjoying their lives and they are loving and being loved. Um, so hope, hope is kind of essential to being able, to being resilient. 
And that's the beauty then of stories, the ways that we can use this book in particular, I feel. Uh, Donna Jo, you have done us such uh, such a service, but no, you've given us this gift that we can give to ourselves, we can share with others. And thanks to National Geographic for realizing that and asking you to collaborate on the book. But before we go, we need to mention your website and people getting to know more about you and the availability of the book. Yes. And you can find the book at your favorite local bookstore, I hope. Um, But if not, if your favorite uh, internet source Or you can go to National Geographic's website, or you can go to mine. I don't sell it, of course, but you can get information there. I'm DonnaJoNapoli.com. So it's just my name, D-O-N-N-A-J-O-N-A-P-O-L-I.com. Well, Donna Jo Napoli, you are just so delightful, so wonderful, and I just appreciate so greatly the time that you've taken with us this morning and that you share your talent with the world. I'm so grateful to have been invited. Thank you. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Donna Jo Napoli and Sunday Morning Magazine with Joe Worley and a conversation about America's vet dogs. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, Find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of finding the connections between ourselves and others in our community, in the world. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 1069. Good morning.